both Jonathan Payton and I right now on the 99 Yards podcast is the longest running NFL UK broadcast personality of all time. It's the one and only Iron Mike. How have you been? <laughs> I've been good. Uh, you know, I, I, this is my favorite time of the year, basically, because I'm busiest. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I just I just like being I like being busy with football. Um you like Thanksgiving, been, don't you, as well? You're a big Thanksgiving Thanksgiving's fan. my favorite holiday. Football yeah. is a big part of Thanksgiving. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I do kind of miss not being home and watching the Thanksgiving game, although nowadays it's three Thanksgiving games. But, um, <laughs> you know, I like the old traditions of, of local rival high school teams playing on Thanksgiving Day and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um um, well, my dad, my dad actually played in a Thanksgiving game that drew 20, something like twenty-two or twenty-three thousand people. Wow! Really? In 19, Amazing. 1940, 1943 in the Yale Bowl. Wow! Um, oh, really? Oh, shoot! Yeah. Wow! Amazing. And then, and then, um, yeah, and then they got beat soundly. Um, <laughs> and, and then, uh, you know, and then what was that? That was that. That was uh, November. So seven months later, he was still seventeen. He was in the U.S. Navy. Wow. Um, you know, and, and off off to war, and my Did he get my to grand- Europe, to Europe, or to um, he was in the navy, so he served in both oceans. Oh, um, did he? Basically, he did get to Europe though, because when I was young, I found a um, a program from the Folie Berger in in his desk, buried under a lot of papers and stuff, and that was probably <laughs> my first exposure to like naked female flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Very hot stuff. Story. You know, Brilliant, days. yeah. For those days. So, where is home then? Where, where, where do you? Um, I, well, I grew up in Connecticut, in southern southern Connecticut. Um, yeah. Born in you know um, in New Haven and grew up in that area. Um, yeah. Grew up watching Yale football games because uh, my. Uh, my granddad used to work sometimes at the bowl as an usher, and oh. um, and he also was like a local po- polit- political hack. So he always had a parking pass for the uh, the grass around the Yale Bowl, uh, and that's where the you know tailgating really began with all of those um, Ivory League people uh, oh, in and their country squire station wagons with the, oh. the back flipping down and stuff like that. <laughs> it, it was great fun. I mean. My, I would go with my father, my grandfather, uncles, and they would they would buy like five tickets, and there would be nine of us, and and just kind of push through. No security know. in those days. <laughs> All going like he's got the tickets, he's got the tickets, and, and the last guy would have them. And and they were bench seats, you know. In those, it was the old yeah. bowl was built in like 1912 or something, and and uh, so they were just wooden wooden benches, and you could squeeze as many people in there as you could squeeze. Uh, and it was great. I mean. Um, in 1957, I think Yale beat Army, which was a huge thing. But I don't think I think my first game was the following year um, against UConn. My dad had played at UConn, so we went to the Yale UConn game, and um, I was always surprised. I was always kind of trying to figure out why we were sitting on the UConn side of the field in those days. <laughs> it was um, it was funny. I just wrote a piece about the Green Bay Packers. Uh, like a history piece for yeah. uh, Gridiron magazine, and um, for some, oh Chuck Mercine came into it, um, who is the fullback who who kind of jumps over Bart Starr when Starr quarterback sneaks in to end the ice bowl. In the ice bowl, nice. In the huddle, yeah. In the huddle, in the huddle, he actually calls the fullback dive play, but but never tells Mercine he's not going to give him the ball. Yeah, yeah. And um, Mercine played when I was 
you know, when I was a kid um, at Yale, and and then he came up about a week later when they when the fifty three fifty one game happened. The highest scoring game of all time was the Giants and um, Redskins in like sixty six, and yes, I remember that good. game. And I was watching it partly because Mersine was playing for the Giants, um, and the two kickers in that game were the Gogolak brothers, who I'd seen play in college. They were the first soccer style kickers in American yes. football. Yeah. And um the quarterback for yeah for the Giants was a guy called Gary Wood who had played for Cornell, so I'd seen him play and he was a little left handed guy who was totally overmatched by the NFL. But um but uh it's amazing how this stuff never gets old. <laughs> as 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 old as it as it may seem, you yeah. know. In in the show yesterday <clears throat> um Nat and I were doing it with Paolo Bandini and uh after the results came in and Arizona he's an Arizona Cardinals fan um all of a sudden he turns around to me and says I'll bet you can't guess the last time the Cardinals won a game in Green Bay and I thought about it for a couple of seconds and I said no but it must have been the Chicago Cardinals uh, and nice his, it was wasn't it his, his draw <laughs> his draw dropped <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was like 19 it was 1949. I said, oh, that was yeah. Curly Lambeau's last year as coach. <laughs> uh, amazing. Won't be I, Mike. Brilliant. And so, and <laughs> yeah, that was, just, that was just, kind of classic. That's, that's what I'm around for these days. Yeah, yeah, you know? of course. Just, and just going back to that Giants-Redskins high-scoring game. So obviously we've just had that Rams-Chiefs yeah. shootout. So what made that Giants-Redskins game a shootout? So obviously teams weren't in shotgun. It was part, yeah, it was what? partly that um, it was partly to, that there were at least three defensive or kick return touchdowns. Right. Um, when Wood brought the Giants back to something like 42-28, the Redskins then had three touchdowns in a row, like a touchdown pass, an interception return, and a, and a kick return yeah. um, to, break, to break the game open. And, and it, it ended with uh, a guy called Tom Kennedy, um, who was playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers of the Continental Football League, Oh, and Andy no. Robustelli, who was their general manager, who was a former Giant Hall of Famer, um, sold him to the Giants, who were con- apparently considering Terry Baker, who was out of football f- that year. He bust. He was a Heisman Trophy winner from from Oregon State, um, and um, they signed Kennedy. So Kennedy replaced Gary Wood, and right at the end of the game, Kennedy threw a ball out of bounds, thinking it was third down. Um, but it was fourth down, so the ball went over oh. to the Redskins deep in Giants territory, and Sam Huff was the linebacker for oh, yeah. the um, yeah, Redskins, John. but he had been a Giant, and they had traded yeah. him to Washington, and he was angry about that. So he was screaming at Otto Graham to kick the field goal <laughs> just to rub it in, and Graham, Graham was unaware that that, made, that that three points is what put it over the mark to um, – to break the record for total points scored, um, but I think you need that. We had three defensive touchdowns in the um, in the Rams yeah. um, uh, game, the, yeah. the 53-51 one. And I think, yeah, I think, I think you need that uh, in order to really run up a score. I think Sonny Jurgensen threw like seventeen passes in that game. They had seventy-two really points. Really amazing. Yeah, yeah. He only threw seven. You know, it was like they didn't need to throw. Um, yeah. They had long touchdowns. Bobby Mitchell had one. Um, they had some great players. And then Joe Don Looney was on that team, and he had been a first-round draft pick of the Giants. And he's one of the craziest people to ever play football. I mean, Looney by name, Looney by nature. <laughs> um, and there's a great book about him called Third Down and Forever, um, detailing all the trouble he had. But he was oh, really? a big, big, fast running back. 
um, and a, a punter as well. He had great, great talent, but never was able to make use of it. Because the Giants were just on their way down at that point, weren't they? The Redskins yeah. were sort of coming up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they but... had. It, it was a sad thing. They had held on to a lot of old players too long, really. And um, Ali Sherman had replaced Jim Lee Howell as the coach. And Sherman wanted to change the team, but the way they were changing it, in other words, the, the draft picks they made were bad. The, yeah. the Huff trade didn't get them enough in return. You know, they, they sort of took apart the team in the wrong wrong way and rebuilt it in the wrong way. So Sherman, who was not a bad coach, was left with some really mediocre teams and, and then was out of football um, pretty soon after that, I think. 67 might have been his, la- his last year. But, you know, the Giants have been really good, just, just always kind of like runners-up Yeah. in the late 50s, early 60s, when Y.A. Tittle, yeah, and they had traded for Y.A. Tittle, they had traded for Del Schaffner. Because they had the great, you know, they had the, those great coaches. They had Ed Lombardi and um, Tom Lanch, didn't they, on their yeah, coaching Yeah, Jim Lee Howell the was the, the head coach, and, yeah. and Lombardi was the offensive coordinator, and Landry was the defensive coordinator. And you can't get much better than that. <laughs> yeah, you know. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so just going back to the, you, the Yale thing, were you around for the, the, the famous Harvard beats Yale 29-29? Well, that was up in Cambridge. Right. Um, and that would have that was my um, trying to think, I think it was my freshman year of college. So we would we would have finished. Our season, I was at Wesleyan, um, yeah. which which famously is the is the um, the play in Doonesbury where Yale is called Walden University. Oh, in Doonesbury, there's a guy who goes yeah. to his reunion and talks to another guy, and and he says, you know, well, it's great, um, you know, uh, it's great to see all these old people from Wesleyan that I don't remember from our days. And guys, Wesleyan, this is Walden. <laughs> Wesleyan is twenty miles up the road, and um, but anyway, uh, I I watched I watched that game on TV. Yeah, um, yeah the twenty nine twenty nine game, and um, I was aware, you know, large, usually aware of Brian Dowling and Calvin Hill uh, from that team because uh, Dowling had never lost a football game. Right. He had started. He had won. Yeah, and and. Um, the story goes that when Harvard was going for the second two-point conversion to tie the game, Dowling went up to Carmen Coza, who was the coach of Yale, and said, put me in, in at, at safety. And Coza said no, and, and they asked him about it afterwards. He said, it would have ruined the life of the guy I replaced. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Brilliant. So just just mentioning Wesleyan, so you, you went there and um... – that was the same. Was that the same college as Bill Belichick went to? Wasn't yeah. it? Weren't you there at the same time, or sort of crossed Bill over? Fresh, Bill, Bill's first year was my last year, right? And although nobody seems to know it, he didn't play football that year. Oh. Um, and I've gone back to check. I mean, when I yeah. was there, I looked at the team photos. I I think he might have been hurt, um, but he had. He also might have just been taking time off. Um, he played offensive it, line. Did he? Did he? Is that? Is that he what? was. He's listed as a center and or a tight end and long snapper, right? Uh, and like I said, I don't I don't remember him playing, and he's not in the. Um, well, I would have known my senior year. I would have known yeah. for sure. Um, but uh, he had played. He had gone to a prep school for a year. Uh, after he finished high school, he spent a year at Andover, which is where he met Ernie Adams, who's the guy. Oh yeah, yeah. The, does the all that, brains. you know, does yeah. all the, the brain stuff. Yeah. And um, and then come to us, and I wouldn't have been surprised if he simply took the semester off to get into the academics right. of the school, knowing that 
in, in those days, they had dropped the freshman teams by then. When I was at U.S. Wesleyan, we still had freshman football. So I played freshman football, and we only had like 18 guys. Um, and eventually the NCAA changed the rules anyway to it's proper two way eligible a two way. Uh, I played I played tight end. I'm sorry, I played split end and defensive end, um, okay. which was interesting. Um, so, and so, so, uh, so, I had played I had played only defensive end in high school, which was the weird thing, and I was completely <laughs> unsuited for it. Um, <laughs> but um, our coaches ran an old fashioned defense where basically all I had to do was push everything in. So I didn't. Oh right, okay. Um, <laughs> it was like seven of you on the line was there or something? Yeah, and, and we went to us and they were playing a four man line, and you were head on a tackle, and you had to kind of. <laughs> physically yeah. beat him and, and as you can imagine if I was playing split end on offense I wasn't really geared up to yeah. to deal with tackles but we were so short in fact that um, one of my friends got another guy who's now who's been my best friend for, for years and years um, who had played soccer in high school I don't know how but he had and he got him to come out just because we needed bodies and he was about he was about 5, 9 or 10 and probably weighed about in those days, maybe 190 pounds, um, solidly built, but and they put him at defensive tackle with me at end, and he'd never played football before, and he had like two days of practice, and then we're playing the Trinity College freshman team, <laughs> and first, first play of the game, there's a kickoff, and then we come out to play defense, and I, I line up, and I look down the line, and he's literally in their backfield, and I go, Berm, Berm, you got get back. And he starts. He starts on all fours, going backwards between their guard and ce- between their guard and center. He's going backwards through the line. The quarterback should just snap the ball. I don't know why he didn't. Um, but you know, he was like almost back when they finally snapped the ball, and then the guys ran right over. Him. Oh, they did, yeah. Like and, a Danny Amendola sized guy. Yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was it was amazing. I mean, it was you know, it's Division three small college football, and this is yeah. this is a long time ago. But even even so. Um, but uh, it, it was Bill. Bill played lacrosse with me in the in the spring. So I remember and seeing was, a photo. I think on one of the Channel Five shows you brought yeah. in of that. You've, you've yeah. got like a team photo with him and you in the same. Yeah, it famously team. it famously was in Sports Illustrated, and then all of the players. Willie McGinnis told me that um, Bill came in one time showing a couple of his teammates from the, my teammates as well from the lacrosse team uh, around and and. Um, yeah, you know, one of the guys said, "Hey, who are those guys, coach?" You know, and he said, "Oh, you know, he mumbled, you know, the cross players." And, <laughs> and McGinnis, McGinnis said, "You mean they're in the picture?" <laughs> <laughs> so they'd all they'd all seen it. Do you do you and, remember him? Do you remember him from that? From I mean, that I remember him not not well. You know, Just um, quite an introverted we weren't we weren't, we weren't friends or anything. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, he re- we remember each other enough so that when we went to. Um, for Channel Five, when we went to Foxborough in preseason, I got an interview, you know, a yeah. one-on-one interview with him in the morning, which no one ever gets, and, yeah. and that became a news story in the Boston papers the next day. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, and you know, once I asked him a question at one of the press conferences, uh, I never get to do the press conferences these days because the BBC sends me out on Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> but but in the in the Channel Five or Channel Four days, I saw one year. Maybe it's the no, it was the first year of BBC. I think was and we were out the whole we were out the whole week. That, yeah, we did that, two. That was that undefeated? The Pats when the Pats were going for undefeated season. That one. 
I think. Yeah, that was yeah. the first one, it, which would have been in Phoenix. Um, that's right. It was 2008. And, yes. 2008. Yeah. So I, you know, I, that's that was great because Rod. I was doing it with Rod Woodson, and Wood, Woodson got voted into the Hall of Fame, and I was there, you know, in the in the room. Yeah, brilliant. And, uh, Got to say, you know, congratulations. And the first thing he said to me was, I just wish Dermonti had got in, which was really sweet. You know, oh, Dermonti yeah. Dawson is yeah. uh, his center. And, um, you know, I asked why so I said, Mike Carlson, BBC, and, and Belichick gave me this kind of wry look. Is it? Yes, you've seen it before, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has almost like smirk on his face. Or he's yeah, like, I, yeah, he's done a bit better than me, but, but there aren't many people left from those days. Uh, but I've got one guy. The other guy, I was played tight end in my first two years. I played, we, I sort of shared time with another guy, and um, he's still coaching. He, he was, he's coaching at the Choate School, which is one of the elite prep schools in America, um, and they've had a couple of undefeated seasons in a row. So would, 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 you, would you consider Belichick the greatest NFL coach of all time? I know it's, it's sort of quite you a should read Gridiron. You really should subscribe. I, I, I wrote a I wrote a piece about this a few months ago. Yeah, I, I picked him as number one. You did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just the longevity, um, I, I, or, or, or just change, the, the longevity, like ch- ch- being able to change his team again and again, and just stay competitive. At yeah, the top. yeah. I think that's the the key factor because it's so much harder in the modern game um, with free agency and yeah. and um, salary caps and things like that. It's so much harder to to uh, keep a team together and keep your stars together. I think, I think the top four, I had um, Belichick, yeah, Brown. Paul Brown, yeah. Lombardi, and Bill Walsh. Yeah. And I, I did say if you were going to put them in, in you, could, you could juggle them in any order, and I would, you know, it would, there would be a discussion, but I, wouldn't, I couldn't say you're wrong. Um, yeah. But, you know, Paul Brown was similar, Bel- and Belichick, obviously learned a lot yeah that's studying paul brown yeah but you know the team he kept together for 10 years was in an era where it was a lot easier to do that um and when he put it together in, in the 46 in the all-american football conference he really had a big advantage over everyone because he, yeah. he had a lot of guys that he'd coached during the war right. um at great lakes naval training station um and so but but, you know, Brown's innovation and stuff like that was a big plus. And Lombardi's, well, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Lombardi's uh, is the kind of person, and Walsh is kind of like that as well, who comes up with a system and then picks up the players for the system, yeah. coaches the system really well, recognizes the guys that will fit into the system um, where other guys don't. And that's a different kind of quality. What, what I think what Bill does... And you can see there are ideal types he wants for various positions, but he basically adjusts the system to the players he has. So that yeah. when they had Randy Moss, they were a deep-throwing offensive team. Uh, yeah. When In their first years, they were basically a defensive were, team with yeah. a running game, and a Bill Parcells-style yeah, team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even more than that, he's the only coach I can think of who completely can revamp the game plan week, week by week. week. Yeah. So, you know, so they'll come out and do completely different things than they did the week, the week before. Um, and, and the players have to be smart enough to do that. I, I was watching the, the late game yesterday when I got home after doing the show. And when they knew Minnesota were in passing situations, which they had to be, 
they were basically playing with one down lineman. And yep. then they had six or seven guys milling around. <laughs> we used to do a touch football, the old thing called the old mill around play, where you all just kind of stood in a, almost in a huddle, and then all of a sudden, you know, when the when the ball was snapped, it would break in different directions. Yeah. And and this, they would rush, they would be rushing four or five, even six one time, but you wouldn't know who was rushing. Was and, yeah. and it would be a sa- you know, there'd be a safety and a cornerback and an end and a tackle and a linebacker, and you know, the, another linebacker would be back playing where the safety was. Um, and I'm just thinking that that was put in. They might have gone through it in in preseason, but that was put in during the week. That's where they, you know, they didn't use it. I don't, as far as I can remember, and I don't watch every game, but I haven't seen them use it this season. I haven't seen them use it in the last few seasons, I don't think. So they would have just put that in this week, and it's a completely new kind of concept for them. I, yeah. you, you really have to admire the not only the ability to do it, but the audacity. Audacity to do it. Yeah, and I think they must have realised that the Vikings were going to get away from the run quite early on because that seems to have been a trend this season. Yeah, much, much I think to you're right. And yeah, yeah, and Zimmer was actually complaining about that. Yeah, and yeah. now the, the stories of feuds between Zimmer and Filippelli are are That's coming right. out. Yeah, kind of like they did with Norv Turner um, uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I just think just with with the Belichick thing, he just seems to be the. Uh, the first to adapt to things like rule changes. So as you say, the first three Super Bowls for the Patriots was defense-driven, and then yeah. Polian then Polian goes to the competition committee and gets them to re-emphasize all the passing uh, rules. And then yeah. two years later, the, or two or three years later, the pa- Patriots come out with this explosive offense with Randy Moss and Wes Welker breaking all the records. <laughs> you know, yeah. but the text already one step ahead, going, okay, if that's the way the game's going. Let's yeah, if you believe if you believe that Bill is an evil genius, you would think he was doing it just to you know <laughs> just to spite um, the competition committee, you know, yeah. if if not the whole league. But but you know, I, it's generally been every year, every two years or so, Bill will come up with some wrinkle yeah. that will fool everybody, but it's perfectly legal, and so yeah. the competition committee will make it unle- illegal. You <laughs> know, a couple of, yeah. yeah, a couple of years ago it was the um, eligible receiver reporting ineligible. Is that the one that got John Harbaugh all, all yeah, upset? Yeah, yeah. Har- yeah. And Har- Harbaugh went crazy, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's good. I mean, yeah. you know, that that almost deserves a bust in Canton just for, you know, if you were able to drive John Harbaugh uh, crazy, that would that would be a, a good thing. Um, I, I love watching the Harbaugh's react to adversity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not shy about keeping their emotions in check, are they? Um, so... So, so, so after your college days in Wesleyan, did you? Um, what did you do then? Because was there was there quite a bit of time before you came to the UK? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I worked for a couple of years. Um, I was teaching basically, and um, decided to go back. I played lacrosse in the summers, and decided to go back uh, to get a graduate degree. And I wanted to go to Montreal, um, partly to watch the Canadians play hockey, and partly because I had met this woman from Montreal the previous summer. Um, and, uh, so I applied to McGill and I got in and, and I went up there to do a master's degree. Um, I turned down an invitation to play for the McGill Redmen. Um, someone in like in the admissions department and they, they tag, you know, they, someone tagged the, um, application form and said, Oh, varsity football. And so, you know, one day, one day a coach came to my door 
and I said, would you like to play for Redman? And, and I, I was like, huh? You know, Redman. <laughs> and, and, uh, but I, yeah, they, at that point, the idea of actually working hard at football didn't really appeal yeah. to me. And, yeah. Um, I was mostly, um, learning how to skate well and, uh, playing basketball in the, in the gym up at McGill every day. And then I had an English girlfriend and we were playing badminton and doing yoga and, um, and then she announced the following year that she wouldn't spend a second winter in Montreal and I could choose between her her and Montreal, basically. And, and you chose? Happy. Well, it took a while, but <laughs> but the Way um out. yeah, the decision's obvious. I came over I came over then and um and uh, I've been I've been here ever since. Uh and I you reminded I tried the Jack Benny thing on her, you know, where we're the 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 mugger comes up to Jack Benny, who was famous for being cheap, and pulls a gun on him and says, "Your money or your life." And Jack Benny stands there. And the guy says, "Your money or your life." And Jack Benny stands there. Because I said, "Your money or life." Just hang on, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, did, didn't you work for Major League Baseball? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah. Um, when I came here, I, I got lucky uh, in a way. I mean, I, I I started trying to get jobs as a journalist. I'd done you know some writing and um and though in those days you could kind of walk into places and ask for a job um yeah. and i walked into the boston globe's office in in Bouverie street um just off fleet street and the guy laughed at me um but admire said i admire your career anyway i managed to talk my way into upi and um nearly the, the editor wanted to hire me but the sports editor didn't uh they needed somebody apparently in their sports department and um, the sports editor later became a friend of mine. He went to Reuters, and um, we became really good friends. But he recommended me a couple of weeks later by letter to um, their UPI were partners in a television news agency with ITN, yeah. uh, which is now it, it still exists, but it's now called AP uh, TV yeah. News. And um, so they offered me a like fill in fill in spot uh, over the summer, and I did that and. And then I said, look, I'm going on vacation. Do you want to hire me or not? Um, and they hired me. Uh, and I became the sports editor there when I when they discovered I was the only person in the newsroom who could write a cricket story. Oh, very good. And, it's the American um, who could write a cricket story. <laughs> yeah, I, I, wound up, I had to throw a Australian guy off the telex machine because we were late. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a cricket piece going to Australia. And I, I sat down and I banged out the story. And, and you know, the guy said, oh, I don't, know, I don't know anything about cricket. I said, you don't know anything about any other fucking thing, John, but you write all your other stories. <laughs> and um, the editor called me in his office the next day and I thought he was going to, you know, ball me out for um, yeah. for being rude or whatever. And he offered me a sports editor's job. So oh, um, nice. Um, the other agency, Viz News, had a sports editor, and we didn't. And we were getting killed on sports stories, so that was good. But it was a lot of work, and um, yeah. I, you know, I needed—I didn't have an assistant, so I needed to kind of almost work seven days a week and stuff. And and then I worked. I, I got a job with ABC. I was trying to go back to the states. Actually, I interviewed with the SPN right when they were first starting, when Chet Simmons was still running. Was that late seventies? Was that? Late it would have been early eighties, I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, I interviewed with another thing called Satellite News Channel, which was a competitor to see an early competitor to CNN. Um, they they went broke quickly, and then ABC um, somehow heard about all you know. And someone called called me from ABC and offered me a 
a job or asked me if I was interested in the job. And um, they were setting up a London office for ABC Sports in the news bureau there. And um, Peter Dimmick, who was ex-BBC, former head of outside broadcast and uh, the guy who had uh, supervised the royal wedding and, and uh, was the first host of Sports Night, he was going to be the um, the guy. But he was mostly doing sales, and they wanted someone to do the programming work and program acquisition and stuff. So I got that job, and I worked for them for eight years, um, which was very good uh, and a really great grounding in sports because I was doing it mostly for a program called Wide World of Sports, which which was basically where World of Sport um, came from, <laughs> idea-wise, but also where World of Sport got a lot of their program. A lot of the strange things you would see, including yeah. American football on World of Sport, came yes. from ABC. Uh, yeah. And um, um, so I would, you know, I did everything, really. Um, and I had to set the events up, which meant with an engineer, but, you know, you learn how things are covered. And I had to negotiate rights fees, unless it was a really big event that they wanted to negotiate from New York and and um, I had to deal with the organizers uh, in terms of, like, who's going to show up and, you know, where will our cameras be and will you let our guy introduce so-and-so after the match and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Had to and deal so was, with fight promoters, which was really interesting. Yeah, I bet that was fun. Was that, was that all uh, to yeah. be shown in the States then on, a, on ABC? Yeah. On that yeah. program? Yeah. yeah. Well, did that Howard Cosell be... used to do world, worldwide? Pardon me? Um, did Howard Cassell used to um, be involved in that worldwide? Not sport? much. No, he was he was kind of too big to have to do that right. stuff. Right. But but they would occasionally. I, they would. He was not a call. He was not a lead announcer. Yeah. Um. You know, he was a color man on boxing and American football, basically, yeah. and a and occasional other things. And a re- yeah. But you know, for example, Frank Gifford would come over and do the skiing at Kitsfield every year. Okay. Nice. Um. Yeah. He yeah. would do. Right. He did the rugby league one year with, and, and they would they would send an American football player who they were more or less auditioning to see if he could be an announcer. So yeah. Dave Jennings, who was the New York Giants punter, came yeah. over and did it with GIF. And and I remember Jennings was having a, they were doing the scene set, and Jennings was having a lot of problems. And he'd gone to like six takes or so, and um, GIF had, GIF throws to him again for the seventh take, and he gets it right, and then Gifford flubs it. And I, I was looking at him. I was sure it was deliberate, yeah. um, just to not let him look good. And the, the last year we did the Rugby League Cup Final, Jim Lampley was the play-by-play guy, um, who now is, um, or I think, he, I think he's just left finally, but he was HBO's lead boxing announcer for a long time after he left ABC. And Chris Collinsworth was doing his first show. What, just just, just retired from the Bengals? Yeah. Oh, and wow. This is Rugby League Cup Final before the anniversary <laughs> one where Joe Lydon had the great try. We dropped it <laughs> over, my, over my objections. But, um, um, you know, I, I, was, I went, actually went to that one they, because the Rugby League people still liked me even though we had dropped it. And right. um, I was sitting at a table with Colin Welland, Fred Truman, and Michael Parkinson. Oh, amazing! Basically, <laughs> trying to pre- each trying to prove who was the most Yorkshire Yorkshireman <laughs> at the table, and I finally just said, "Look, guys, I've got no, I've got no skin in this game, but it's starting <laughs> to get boring." <laughs> and anyway, um, during the match, there's a clash of heads, and um, 
the rugby league medical staff comes out, which is basically a guy with a bucket of water and a sponge, and he sponges the cut on the guy's head, wiping the blood away, throws the sponge back in the bucket, and, and pulls out this big roll of, ta- of uh, gauze and starts wrapping his head. Meanwhile, one of the guys who can't get to the water bucket that the players are passing around takes the sponge out of the bucket and squeezes the water into his mouth. This kind of pinkish water, <laughs> and and Love. Lampley Lampley goes, did he just do what I think he did? And with no hesitation, Collinsworth said, "These guys are so tough, they drink blood." <laughs> nice. Nice. And I thought right there, I said, "Chris Collinsworth is going to be a good yeah. announcer." You know, yeah. you know, that, and he has been. You know, he's he's been one of the best. I think. Yeah, and to take it from John Madden as well, that wasn't. The easiest thing was it because he, he was with Joe, was he, he was he was with um, Troy Aitman and Joe Buck for a while, wasn't he? Was it, I'm not sure. I always get those. Um, but so yeah, I mean, he and he and Michaels. I you know I did a lot of shows with Al Michaels because Al was one of the best announcers at anything. Yeah. So they would send him over a lot. Yeah, I bet you know, it was. To, yeah, Olympic to do, stuff to do events. But uh, you know there was a definite hierarchy of who got sent. So you know you would get better people doing the Monaco Grand Prix for Al would do the Monaco Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if they asked him to do sort of ice speedway in, in Northern West Germany, I, he might say, I don't really want to do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Too good. Um, so, so, so when did you, when did you start um, moving towards the front of camera then? So, this is um, towards the eighties, is it? Working with ABC and then the Scream Sport, getting contact with you, needing. Yeah, like, I was working for Major League Base. I left ABC to work for Major League Baseball in nineteen ninety. Um, as there, I was what was my title? It was like Vice President of Europe. Europe, um, and baseball was on Screen Sport. Right. Yeah. On a deal that NBC had done with them, and when I. St- started in April. When the season ended, I went in for a meeting with the producer and the um, programming guy who were called George Black and George Green. It was like uh, Reservoir Dogs. And um, I said, what can I do? You know, what, how can I help you guys get a better show? And, and they said, well, can you get us a better announcer? Um, color guy. Nick Halling was the host. Because okay, they yep. did it the way we always do it. You know, they would take the games in and, and fill the commercial breaks. Yes. Um, yep. but, but take the commentary. So Nick was like the lead guy, but they had an American guy doing it, and, and he wasn't very good. And um, I said, well, let me, you know, what do you want? They said, we'd like to get an ex-player if we can. And, I, you know, I looked around, and the best I could come up with was, you know, bringing someone over from the States. But that was financially impossible. Um, you know, flights... Yeah, uh, where to stay, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so they couldn't afford that, and and I said, you know, well, I suppose you could try people around Britain. And 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 George Green said, well, why could you could you do it? I said, well, you know, I've done some stuff. I've done some voiceover work on my own and a few little things. And uh, when I was at UPI, I had voiced a um, documentary sh- series yeah. uh, for a year a year or two. And um, so I talked to my boss in New York. And he said, yeah, sure, I don't mind. So I started doing baseball. And then that was 90, you know, being screen sport, they said, could you do an audition? I said, okay. And um, I get a call. This is like a week before Christmas. And he, and he calls me up and says, could you do an audition? I said, sure. He said, could you go to Holland on Boxing Day? 
I said, what, you can't do an audition here? He said, well, we've got this basketball tournament. Do you know anything about basketball? <laughs> <laughs> so I wound up going to, Har- going to Harlem in Holland on Boxing Day and finishing on New Year's Eve as my audition. I did <laughs> about two games a day with nice. Gary Bloom as the announcer. Oh, really? A, yeah, yeah. Gary's a football announcer, as you know. Yeah, and, um, I see, I see, and, a, yeah. and a good one. But yeah. Gary had never done basketball. Um, and I'd never done color commentary, so Brilliant. it was great. It was a great match the five for both of you. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, so they liked it. They they brought me in with Nick, and yeah. that so that would have been ninety one. And then um, they got the rights to the World League, the Monarchs games in ninety yeah. two. And Nick said, "You played football, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And so Nick and I did Monarchs games live from Wembley. Um, as yeah. well as doing like doing games on the feed of other teams um, off the feed when Scott Mitchell was playing for Orlando and um, and then um, the league died obviously um, baseball let me go they closed the London office in '94 by which time I had been doing some baseball on Sky um, I'd so they sold them the rights and then they asked me if I could come along and do it as well um, with uh, David Jensen one year. And, really? uh, with, with Neil Fox one year, they just got oh, them all out. Aren't it was, they? Yeah, it was before everybody went for stand-up comedians. You know, then <laughs> yeah, in those days yeah. they were all going for disc jockeys, kind of like the Nicky Horn, the Nicky Horn yeah. syndrome. Nicky Horn was good. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, and uh, so then when they got World League came along, and that was a Fox thing, so Sky got it in '95. Uh, the producer had hired Nick and said, who can we do as a color guy? And Nick said, well, I worked with Mike at Screen Sports. So Nick brought me on. And we did, in 95, we had a great, great year because Nick and I would do a game every Saturday and Sunday. We were doing the actual, we were um, doing the actual commentaries at this point as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah doing yeah, actual so, commentary. Yeah. And, um, you know, we would basically go to Germany on Saturday or, or Amsterdam um, on Saturday and then fly up to fly back to either London or Scotland, Scotland. Yeah. On, on Sunday. Um, and it was a great learning experience. And then, you know, Kevin and Gia and I did end zone um, where, and because Gia was married and had a kid and, and Kevin was married and busy with basketball um so Kevin I would Kate. be the one who yeah. who got all the uh, Barcelona trips because Barcelona oh, nice. was the only was the only overnight. Um, <laughs> you could, and uh, we would go in, and you know we would go in the middle of the week to do features on each team, and and the coaches were for the most part great, and I learned more about football in those years than you know, yeah, that I could have dreamed um, by mostly by making mistakes and having guys correct me, but. Uh, you know, Jim Kreiner in Scotland, the head coach, and Ray Wilsey was his defensive coordinator, and Jack McNeil in Barcelona. Um, the, some, you know, really great people. Um, and uh, I just, you could, you could ask them anything. And, yeah. you know, I said, look, tell me about this guy. And if you say good things, I'll quote you. And if you say bad things, it'll be my, you know, it'll be my um, opinion that, that goes out there, you know, but just to, but tell me the truth, you know, and, yeah. and he, you know, they, they'd tell me why a guy wasn't in the NFL or, you know, or what he couldn't, what he couldn't do well and what he did do well and that, that kind of thing. And they'd let you look at film with them, you know, when they had preseason, you'd, you'd be standing on the field 
you know, with the coaches behind the watching the scrimmages. And it was just a fantastic experience. Um, I, I loved every, every minute of the world league it was, was great. And after the first year I had breakfast one day in Amsterdam before the world bowl with a, a Fox executive who was in charge of the world league for them, George, George Krieger. And George said to me, you know, when, when sky put your name forward, we didn't want to use, you know, we didn't want them to use you. Cause I said, why? I said, well, you know, who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and uh, he said, but I just want to tell you, you did a really good job. You know, you you see things well, you you explain things well, but you see things well too, which is great. And you know, I didn't say, well, it's a little easier because we were working with some American crews, and there were guys. Um, there was a director called Kenny Fouts, who was an old NFL veteran from NBC. And Kenny would, when you had a replay, Kenny would tell you what you were going to see and what it meant. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like asking for a replay. He would say, look, we've got we've got this guy running off tackle and you're going to, you're going to see the defensive end's hand come in and pull the ball out, you know, so you would sound like a genius when when that came off. And, um, and you learned about it too, because you were, you kind of learned how to watch for that stuff. So anyway, I didn't say that to George. I said to George, the obvious thing, I said, give me a job in the States. And he said, ha, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, we can't do that. All our, all our announcers are, you know, ex-players. And I said, well, what about the ones I said, I said, Wesleyan doesn't count. (laughs) I said, you know, it works for Bill Belichick. He said, no, Wesleyan doesn't count. You know, I said, and and I said, well, all your lead announcers are, um, they're all the sons of guys. They're all Brannamans and Bucks and all people whose fathers were in the business, Marv Albert and all his cousins and sons. And I said, I'll change my name to Mike Cosell and you can (laughs) give me a job. And (laughs) I never got, I never got a job. Um, stayed here, but that was, that was basically, you know, the basic, the basic thing. And then I started doing NFL for sky. Um, and, uh, which was in about 95, 96, wasn't it? Yeah, it's 95, 96. And then, um, in 90, I, I hosted it for one year. Yes. With Nick, say, Nick, 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 was, Nick was the um, expert. Wasn't it? That's and who, you, Nick you was the, the expert and I was the yeah. host. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that, you know, both of us kind of realized that was the wrong way around. <laughs> and, um, and then Kevin gave up basketball coaching and he wanted to go full, full time. And there was a strange situation where sky basically offered him the NFL and, nobody told me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so nice. I got this phone call from, from someone on the show just saying, you, know, yeah. you really ought to check and see about this. And so I eventually found out and Kevin had sort of assumed because Kevin and I were friends and um, we had actually had a lunch not so long before this where he had, he knew he was getting the job and I'm talking, we're talking about what he can do, you know, like what he, what would be his best course for career wise. And, um, then, then obviously, so what, what happened was the producer was on vacation or he would have told me the person who made the decision wouldn't bother to tell me, um, Kevin thought that the producer was going to tell me. And, and, um, so afterwards when we, when we hashed it out, and I remember saying this at his funeral, you know, Kevin thought I was the nicest guy in the world. Cause I never brought it up when we were talking <laughs> and like, I held no grudge and, yeah. and I didn't know it, you know, at the time. And, and, um, and I had to get, get past, you know, get past that with Kev. But then I was lucky because that was when channel five decided to move in yeah. to the late night games. And I remember, you know, I was in, I went, 
on holiday in the States, but I had talked to them before. And I remember talking to Sunset and Vine and, and to uh, Robert Charles, who was the head of sport at Channel 5, who had been at World of Sport um, at, at London Weekend. Um, they had a great sports department there. And the guys who worked on that group kind of all went on to run British television in various ways. And Robert was the head, was the head of sport at Channel 5. And um, they said, well, would you mind moving into the analyst role? <laughs> and I laughed and said, no. <laughs> you know, that's where I should have been at Sky. Yep. But Sky didn't, you know, we're too dumb to realize it. And um, they said, you know, we want to go with, with a British host. I said, it makes much more sense. That's yeah. fine. And, yeah. and so I, I'm sure they were looking at other people, but eventually they decided to use me. And I, I started doing it with Mark Webster. Yes, and, um, that's right. Yeah, and, and that worked great. Years, and, but yeah. yeah, and Mark was, but Mark had done basketball on Channel Four and he, for a while. He did, when, did, he, did, he do, did he do baseball as well on Channel Five as Mark? Was not that, that I remember. That um, the first the first pair on baseball on Five was Todd Macklin, who was a Canadian yes. um, sports yes. jock from a uh, sports disc jockey from Toronto. And I can't, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy Alan, who did Alan, what was it? Was it Alan? Someone, the guy that he did, was, a, he was a children's host. Yeah. I can picture he was, him. A, he, was a, he was a, he had been a children's host, but he only lasted a year and then they brought Johnny golden. Yes. And so Johnny and Johnny and Todd did it. And then when Todd went back to Canada, Josh, they got Josh in. Right. Yeah, yeah, to do it, right. and um, Johnny and Josh did it for a long time. I would fill in for them, you know, occasionally, um, you know, probably three or four times a year when they weren't available. And, 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 Chan- wasn't. and Channel Five did they, they did they did live Monday night games, didn't they, to start with? And wasn't wasn't the, the Sunday night game? I think was pre-recorded and then shown on the Tuesday night or something mm, funny like we that. We did no, we did we did the Sunday night game live and showed the Monday night game that's on right. Tuesday. Yes, and on Monday right. we had a highlights program. Um, yes. a sort of half hour, 40 minute show, um, which did really well because it was on early enough for people to watch. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I would used to keep making that argument with people, you know, the earlier you put the game on, the better a rating it's going to get because you know, you're going to lose most of your audience at two thirty. um, yeah. you know, because they, they've got to go to work in the morning. Um, um, but that was, then we started doing the Monday night game live, which and that's and that's better. when and that's when the Monday night miracle overran into Channel yeah. Five News, wasn't it? Yeah, they, we were in the studio time. that the news was basically the news studio, yeah. and they needed it to rehearse, so they waited a bit for the rehearsal. But at five thirty, they needed to rehearse. So at five thirty, we went into this broom cupboard, literally with a with a little camera up on the side and we did the half an hour but then at six o'clock the time we lost our slot because the yeah. news was at six and they weren't going to preempt the news for the end of an american football game so yes yeah, so we did half an hour in the broom <laughs> closet and then and then i hung around to watch the end of the game and had and and to their credit they actually announced the result in the news what did they oh, fair yeah enough. as the yeah. game finished you know they then said oh and we've had a result if you were watching if you were watching the uh, football and you're still watching this is the this is the result from the states um <laughs> britain's which, which version of the game yeah <laughs> yeah it, it was great fun you know i mean we and and that was kind of you you almost you almost couldn't do that anywhere else yeah you know, is that I your favorite gig you've done 
Probably. Just, well, no, my favorite gig was doing wrestling with Nick Halling producing and Mark Webster and I as the two announcers. And I was the heel. I was the heel announcer. I was the Jesse Ventura, um, Bobby the Brain Heenan kind of guy. And um, that that was for ITV, too. It was called the Transatlantic Wrestling Challenge. And we were supposed to do a second season of it. Um, and we had built up the first season, mostly Nick. He actually um, booked and plotted the whole thing out. Yeah. And... Um, the uh, villain from the States won the title from Gary Steele, the British hero. And then we we're going to have a second season where Gary chases the belt back. Um, but, but they couldn't sell it again to the oh, network or something. Oh. And, but that was, that's my favorite, I think of, of all time. Yeah. Um, apart from, I mean, there's little things that was the most fun to do. Um, I did a football game in Tanzania um, called the global Kilimanjaro bowl which was Drake University against a team of Mexican all-stars from a, from there's two conferences in Mexico, the one with the private universities. And uh, we did the game in Arusha in Tanzania. And that was, that was like a highlight of my life. Um, just to spend a week down there yeah, doing that... clinics with kids and, and then doing the game. I was doing it on ITV Tanzania, um, <laughs> which, which was, which was, Incredible with Reggie Brooks, an ex Notre Dame guy, because the guy who put the whole thing together, it does a lot of stuff with Notre Dame. He was a quarterback at Notre Dame, and um, and uh, you know I, I remember that well. I did a lot of Olympic games when I was at ABC, um, yeah. which were you know each in, and even at U, when I was at the UPI um, in Moscow in '80, for example. You know, there's lots of stuff to remember. But of the of the kind of British TV gigs, um, the wrestling and the, the late night was good. And what I mean about doing the late, you know, I'm a, I, I do it. It's conscious the way you do, for example, BBC on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. As opposed to what you can do on on um, late night television on Channel Five yeah. or Channel Four. And even Sky is um, quite Sky is quite serious with its the way. It Sky, I don't sports, know. I've never it? understood that. I've yeah. never understood why they. I mean, That's for a while they, it looked course. like they were trying to be American, you know. Yeah. And, and those guys that they have often don't have experience, for example. But they would be much more relaxed if you relaxed them. Yeah. You know, and 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 you you can't force it. It has to kind of be natural. Um, and I've been lucky on the BBC in a number of ways, you know, um, because when, when they started doing it, it was Jake, um, Jake doing the, um, Jake Humphrey, yeah. The, the hosting Jake Humphrey. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then it's been Mark Yeah, and, and they're both really good, you know, and they're both natural. Um, they're smart enough to, to know the right questions to ask. Mark has become, you know, really working with OC and Jason, um, you know, twice a week has become They've got a great really there between them. Yeah, they do, and and and, but he's also learned a lot about the game. You know, yeah. and and uh, and so when they brought in people, and we had you know Danny Amendola was in, and yes. Tiki Barber, Rod for two years on the Super Bowl, uh, OC one year on Channel Four with me and Nat. Yeah, that's um, great. You know, the, and the atmosphere is automatically relaxed, and you can have a little bit of fun with it. Now, you know, some of the things I would do on Five. Which, which were done in good nature, but could be seen by people as being, what would you say, maybe uh, too straightforward. Um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do on BBC in the afternoon. You certainly so couldn't you wouldn't, do on America. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have a highlight of Tory Holt and call him the Tory you can support, for example. No, uh, 
BBC probably wouldn't appreciate that. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't use Dilfer as a verb, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, well, well, in on TV. You know, nowadays yeah. that's what happens on on the the Twitter and podcasts and all that kind yeah, of stuff. True. But so we were ahead of our time in, well, so in all, that way. And then I'm really grateful to BBC. The Mike Cloud, yeah. your Stones, Mike Cloud uh, nod. Yeah, that's one of my favorites of all time. Great. Hey, hey, you, Mike Cloud got. It was like goal line situation, yes. and, and Mike Cloud didn't <laughs> get over the goal, and they were literally everyone's just piling on. I went, hey, hey, you, you, get off of Mike Cloud. <laughs> um, those those so things good. are little little bits that just pop into your head. And, it's sort of the freedom and, that, that you see. That was the thing good. on five. I didn't have to. There was no filter, you know. Yeah. If like if it popped into my head, I could let it out. It's like doing a podcast with Nat. Um, you know, but when, when, when you're, when you got the tie on and the suit on, you got to stop and think a minute before you blurt out what yeah. it is, what stupid thing you're going to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, um, the one that got me this year was, was we were doing the, um, when we were doing the Raiders, um, um, who killed the Raiders at Wembley this year? Seahawks. Uh, Ravens. The Seahawks. No, the Seahawks. The Seahawks, yeah. yeah Seahawks. Yeah. They ran ran the ball. Um so yes. we we're doing the Sea we were doing the Seahawks Ravens this year at Wembley and at some point I, I made a comment about the punter because we were on the field and so the punt came right by us and was fair caught and, and I said, I've been waiting to see this guy because he's an Australian rules guy, you know, and yeah. that, that's the big end. Oh, he says, I love, I love Michael. He says, he even knows about the punter. He said, when I played, I didn't know who our own punter was. <laughs> <laughs> and I was sitting there going through my mind trying to remember yeah, who the punter was on the yeah, yeah, team, yeah. like Off in 2007. The... Yeah. And it came to me like, what? Go ahead. I, no, I was just trying. I was trying, I was trying to think as well. And it's not Sean and Death is too far back. I was trying to. Think. I, it was Jeff Eagles, I think. Ah, nice. Yes. And, and it, it came to me yeah, like you know good. three series later when it was too late to <laughs> to to make an impact. But um, oh. yeah. But but what I feel really nice about, I mean, BBC, like you said, those guys have such a good rapport, and it, you know, it's such an entertaining show. Um, that I I'm, I feel lucky that I just get to do the live games with them. Yeah. Um. You know, and uh, and and the good thing is it, it it's a, it's almost a, a, it seems a seamless um, transition. So uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm I sh- I could easily feel like I'm the third wheel there. Um. But uh, they're all really good about it, and and you know, we 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 sort of we sort of fit in together. And I think that's partly because they're really easy to work with. And it makes me just feel like at least what I'm saying makes sense to them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so you're doing the TalkSport 2 show every Sunday evening. And that's, show, and that's, and that's, is that, that is that is taking the Jaguars commentary or taking the Jaguars yeah. feed plus all the red zone bits on top of it? Yeah, that's, that? that's what we, um, and if the Jags, if the Jags have a late game, then we do, we just basically do red zone. Um, and get the start of the Jags game uh, yeah. this year, and um, and of course they they would have been on a Sunday night spot, and so they would have done the Talk Sport Late Show. Um, but uh, they got when the season started to go downhill, they got flexed out of that Sunday night game. Yeah, um, yeah, and now you know Nat 
Matt finds it hard to spend a long time away from me, so um, we, <laughs> yeah. we get we get to, we get to stay in this in the studio together. And um, you, you remember we did a podcast called Your America America. Oh yeah, miss um, it. Yeah, yeah. With Dan Lowe and yep. and Harry Holgate, who yep. was the producer. producer. Yeah. And um, I guess we did that for about five years, and then yep. just to the point we were starting to make it work uh, financially, like it it fell apart um, for various reasons, but. You know, in in a sense, that's been reconstructed in various forms. Um, you know, in in a lot of the podcasts and stuff, Matt yeah. and I did did one for Talksport called, you know, which was imaginatively called Carlson and Coombs. Um, Matt's <laughs> got one right now, the NFL show. Um, yeah, that he's that's really you know Harry's producing it. I, I'm on it most of the time with him, um, and and that format has has worked really well with. With a certain amount of of irreverence, um, we miss Dan in in terms of real comedy and humor. Yeah, and, cyni- um, and cynicalism as well. And cynicism, yeah. <laughs> cynicism, I mean, Dan sorry. makes me look like an an idealist, uh, a naive, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. wide eyed. And um, and I think there's, you know, it, it set it set a certain template for a lot of people. And um, there's quite a few podcasts around. Um, in Britain, especially, well, obviously in Britain, cause I, you know, where we can see the format repeated um, yeah. to to an extent. Uh, but it was it was immense fun to do. Even if once I moved out of London, it was a real pain in the ass to get into London to get to the studios at the right times and stuff. Um, especially when we weren't making any money off. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it must have been real But I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's like we were, we had to be in a studio. We couldn't do it by phone and um, Skype, it really had to be something we did face to face. And um, we got good people in as guests. And I did a podcast for a brief while that Harry and I set up and Harry worked um, at audiobooks for the blind. Was, that, um, was it a crime? Was it your crime series? Yeah, it was a crime one. Exactly. Yeah, it was called yeah. Crime Vault um, with Mark Billingham, who, who I knew and, and who Harry knew because Mark records his own books for the blind. Um, so Harry had produced him there and, and that was really good. But the publisher who was backing it realized that they didn't need us <laughs> <That's right. laughs> to, pr- to produce it. You know, they had yeah. their own studio literally in, in the publishing house and they could, they could get someone like Mark to interview another writer you know, or they could have two writers talking, or or right. whatever. They didn't need to to basically pay us to do a to do a podcast, even though um, it worked really well. And and yeah. I wanted to call it watching the detectives. And oddly enough, and and the publishers wanted to be called Crime Vault because that was one of their kind of trademarks um, they were using. But Mark got the rights to use the music wa- from watching the detectives. Um, from Elvis Costello. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, I mean, That's basically cool. for free. Yeah, yeah, and um, <laughs> and Mark's Mark's well connected. <laughs> when when we had we did we had Ian Rankin in for might have been our first show. Really? Oh wow! And yeah, and uh, that was just on, what, listening to the two of them talking about rock music. Um, 
and you know, I'm I'm in a, a slightly older generation with an American background, so <laughs> yeah. most of it most of it didn't. I, I wouldn't say it meant nothing to me because I knew who they were talking about and stuff like that. But I, most of it, I didn't have very much interest in. <laughs> and you know, it was like, can we get back to crime now? You know, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And Harry's like in my ear, going, "That's gold. That's gold. Don't shut him up." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we probably can't let you go, Mike without talking about your uh, Friday morning tight end column. That oh, yeah. You've moved on to um, a subscription platform this year, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I did it for, was, I think, 13 seasons um, oh, for the yeah. NFL UK website. Yeah. Um, and um, I think it was originally Henry Hodgson who decided we ought to pick all the games every week. Um they got progressively shorter and shorter because the people, the outside people running the web, website decided that um, attention spans were getting bite shorter. Size, shorter. Bite-sized content, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, um, but that was okay. And, and, I, and I did pretty well picking. Um, not as well as I thought I would do at the beginning, but then I came to realize that I was doing better than an awful lot of people out there. Um, <laughs> so that made me feel good. But they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. They were cutting back on the actual um, home-produced content, I guess. Yeah. Um, most of it's either done by the office or... Um, I think it's been, it's been swallowed up by the mothership, by the NFL.com yeah, pretty much now, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, and it's, the rest of it's NFL.com. Yeah. So um, I just decided to take a try and, and put it up uh, on Patreon um, and see how that went. And it, it's been a problem, first off, in the sense that... Um, the only way for me to make that work was to ask people to, well, that's the point of Patreon, ask people to um, support it. Yeah. And um, not much, obviously, but uh, I figured I could get enough people to make it worthwhile writing because inevitably what happened is without an editor to say, look, we can only have a thousand words on the 13 games, so keep it short. <laughs> I'm writing like 5,000 words every week. <laughs> <laughs> which is like Peter King, you know, except yeah. I don't bother to review branches of Starbucks for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and I've cut the other stuff short. At one point I was writing a lot about, you know, and I had, I had the first down column for years and years. Yeah. Like yeah I remember. Kind, of, kind of verge onto, onto other things. Um, so it, it hasn't had as many subscribers as I would, as I would like. And I'll, by the end of the year, you know, if it's not on that kind of upward, I'll probably won't won't do it again because I really do spend a lot of time writing um, yeah. that I could I could be doing other stuff with. But it's a good way for me to um, to keep my focus on the games because I probably wouldn't watch as many games if I were if I weren't working. Yeah. Like if if I were just home on the weekend, I'm I'm not the kind of person who says I've got to watch three football games tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there might be something else I want to do, or, or my son might have something. Um, but because I'm working, I will do the games we do. Yeah. And then I'll wa- you know I'll watch as many games as I could. And for years, I would watch stuff that people sent me from the states on tape. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time on the phone with people, asking them questions about what went on uh, on the weekend. And now, of course, with Red Zone, I can watch games on catch up um, yeah. and zip through them quickly. So that's that's good. And and doing that and watching the watching and writing the column keeps me. It it always has, but it keeps me up to date with all the the teams on a, on a level 
be, you know, beyond going into the studio and checking the roster before you go on air. Because um, I don't funny. think people realize sometimes how much preparation you you really need to do. Um, there are shortcuts, you know, play by play men have spotters in the booth, yeah. you know, pointing on the depth yeah. on the um, depth chart or on the on the flip chart you know, who's made a tackle or who's carrying the ball, that kind of thing. And, of course, the American Nets have stats guys to give you the stats and, and that kind of stuff. But you can tell in a studio context who has or hasn't done their preparation. Um, you know, and Nick and I, when we did World League games, would have breakfast, um, you know, before the game. And, and literally over breakfast, I'd, I'd just take the roster out and I'd call out a number and Nick would repeat the name. You know, and yeah. in a World League season, we knew because <laughs> those rosters changed every year. As well. every, can... there was, there were, yeah, they, they changed every year, but each year, we, you know, you would know all the guys on six rosters, <laughs> um, and especially that first year. But then, I, you know, by going to preseason and, and you know by doing these things that we did and, and covering a couple of games, because you, you have to look at everything. Um, it, it really there's so much. When I first started doing baseball here and, and football here i was probably i had a good grounding in baseball um i knew a lot of baseball i was a big baseball fan and and when you're living abroad baseball's in those days was the easiest sport to follow the best to follow because you can read a baseball box score yeah. in a way you can't really read the box score of a football game um statistics in football are a lot more um Need some context. Depending on context. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, every week I go through all the games I, and I write down some, some stats and highlights from the teams just to get an idea. But, you know, time of possession, the Niners had much more time of possession this week, say, than Seattle. You yeah. Know, but Seattle had the huge lead. So, of course. Anyway, um, um, my point on that was. I knew more about baseball than all than probably a handful of people in, in this country. And I probably knew more about American football than all but a handful of people in this country when I started doing it. Nowadays, there are people who know, you know, as much as I do um, about the current sport, at least. Yeah. Uh, I've got a kind of historical background because I was the kind of kid who learned stuff. <laughs> yeah. And especially um, things and my like... dad played and stuff, you know, I knew that. But yeah. if you take a specific team, if you're if you're say a, a Tampa Bay Bucks fan, you will know more about the Tampa Bay Bucks than I do. Yeah. You know, yeah. I even if I prepare for a game, you'll know more about what's been going on because you can follow it so yeah. beautifully now. Of course. You can yeah. see every game, you can read the news the Tampa newspapers online, you know, you've got all, all of those resources. And yeah. and it's a it's a different kind of world and, and I think the way people react to that now is is they think they need to be either controversial or um reality television attention-seeking yeah. kind of entertainment, whereas there is, a, there is a kind of knowledge knowledge and interpretation factor, especially in this country, which I think works really well. And that's what you see with, you know, with, with Jason and O.C. and Mark and, you know, what, what I've tried to do with, very, with Matt and, and Mark and, you know, Mark Webster, Mark Chapman, both Marks, yeah. you know, a lot of guys that I've worked with. And, and I think it's worked really well because you need to approach sport 
intelligently, and you need to have some reference beyond sport to go back to. Yeah. Um, to put it into into put it into a, its more important context. Um, so anyway, that's yeah, that's what that's what I try to do. You know. I think you definitely succeed doing that. I think you are. Mike's a well loved. Treasured. <laughs> well, making it sound too yeah. much like your obituary. Yeah. The other thing is, the other thing is too. I'm I'm becoming an old guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And old guys, old guys don't have much place nowadays in um, in um, modern media. Um, it's all the you know, all of a sudden you turn around and all the producers who were ten years younger than you are now twenty years younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when well, uh, and when you make a you know, when you make a joke about some movie in 1958, they look at you blankly. Blankly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like oh. I was sending tweets off today tonight just before you called to Samira about the discussion she had um, about Robert Redford's new movie. And um, the guy, the film critic from the Telegraph, was the guest, and he said. They were talking about Butch and the Kid, and, and he said something about, you know, Paul Newman went through that like Robert Redford where he had to stop being a pretty face and actor, and I, I just exploded at the radio. <laughs> Has this guy not seen Paul Newman's movies in the 1950s and 60s, you know, like Sweet Bird of Youth or something like that? You know, he was an actor. You know, he was just a very pretty actor, but he was an, he was an actor, you know. He did some real you know, HUD in 1962. It's like he didn't have to look for those roles. It's, it's like, but then I think, you know, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is what happens when you've been around too long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Well, Mike, it's been absolutely incredible to have you on the podcast and to hear all your stories. So thank you so much for coming on tonight. Oh, no, it, it's, a, it's a pleasure. I just I just kept I just thought we were talking. I kept waiting for you to actually start the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Anyway, questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Mike. That's been brilliant. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash auto refi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.